Okay, so I'm watching um, Supergirl, uh, season four, episode thirteen, and um, basically it's a it's about a character that's very similar to Superman, invulnerable, um, almost invulnerable, very very strong, capable of uh, emitting heat vision through her eyes and uh, blowing super cold air and everything. Um, very just powerful individual and everything. And uh, usually they have a dialogue intro for most of the shows and everything, or something that's uh, that presents the the show or the series that I'm watching and everything. So if you're if you're not familiar with what a um, a TV show is. Um, to me, you know, from my perspective, um, basically there's infinite potential alternate realities. There's a handful of subset which are of interest to me. And um, in many cases, these alternate realities are positioned to me in a way that's in a linear chronological format that's... Um, that more or less depicts the events of something that's happening to somebody in this alternate reality over a set period of time. And that set period of time could be, in some cases, it could be, you know, 24 hours. Uh, there's a TV show called 24 Hours. Um, in some cases, it can be, you know, 60 minutes. You know, so literally, it's basically 60 minutes of contiguous um, airing or something like that. In other cases, it could be 8 billion years. So, the chronological sequencing of this, uh, of these shows and everything, um, may not necessarily be minute by minute, back to back or anything like that. They're more or less a highlight, a glimpse of um, key events and that kind of stuff. Well, the in in my reality, they've created something called um, actors and TV shows, and to complement these alternate reality glimpses, they've created a whole sequence of more or less. Um, well, equivalents of these shows, and they position them as fictional uh, fictional references, so that way everything could be referred to as a fictional reference. So, in particular, when it's depicting something that's so far-fetched and, and hard to understand for most people. Um, and, you know, as a result, they have whole, whole entire industries that are based around this, so they have Hollywood, um, various different studios that actually are engaged in the art of movie making and that kind of stuff, and they do a pretty good job here, you know, but not all material is that is depicted on this thing called television is, um, is a TV show. It's it's basically it's all, you know. There's a mix of different things, you know. Some that start in this reality, some that don't, you know, that decidedly don't. So in any case, um, there's typically for most TV shows, whether or not it's a 24-hour and if, or a 50-minute or an hour-long show, there's a uh, a little intro, and typically they'll play a tune. Um, a, a musical melody or something like that that's been hand-selected and created for the show. And it, uh, it'll more or less discuss in a minute-long format very quickly uh, what, a, a, what the premise of that TV show is. So in this case, Supergirl... <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's a, they detail uh, that it's about this... Hold on a second, I'll uh, get to the point of... I'll actually uh, translate it diet directly.
So this one starts off with saying, My name is Kara Zor-El. I'm from Krypton, is what she says. And it's a, she's flying around and performing amazing feats that uh, most humans can't. And she says, I'm a refugee on this planet. It's a narrative. She was, And she says she was sent to Earth to protect her cousin. But her pod got knocked off course. And by the time she got here, her cousin had already grown up and become Superman. Now she says, I hid who I really was until one day when an accident forced her to reveal herself to the world. To most people, um, and here's what I, actually I'll just continue this and I'll go back to, to most people, I'm a reporter at Catco Media, but in secret, I work to protect this planet I call home, and anyone that means to cause it harm. I am Supergirl, is what she says. And then they'll go through and they'll, uh, they'll do a little dialogue um, discussing what happened on previous excerpts from the show. Now. One thing I've um, I've noticed is that there is some splicing that goes on with these shows, and uh, that in particular the section that actually discusses hold on, I'm getting to the point. I want to repeat it, where she says, "My name is Kara Zarel." There's one line that really caught me on this. Where she says, I hid who I really was. Until one day. Then she says to most people, and then all of a sudden, that's actually, it, it splices. And this is what I find interesting. So her personal identity, um, the voice is computerized. It's really hard to detect with the, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not listening for it. But it's very, very obvious. And once I go over it, I'm going to go over it again. So where she says, I hid who I really was until one day an accident forced her to reveal herself to the world. To most people, and then there's a cut right there, and it's not her voice. And the part, including my adoptive sister Alex, I'm a reporter at Catco Media. That whole portion in there, my adoptive sister and Catco Alex is actually spliced in. It's it's computer generated voice. And it's really interesting. I mean, to me. Now I know I'm analyzing the fuck out of this stuff, and um, probably well. I mean, I'm not reading into it, you know, it's just, it's indications of how media is generated and that kind of stuff, you know, so, 
Anyways, um, it's my suspicion that uh, this ongoing journey and this dialogue and everything, there's parts of it that are actually modified based on the reality, you know, that it's actually being portrayed to. And like I said, there's, you know, it's my belief that, uh, like I said before, um, I believe that uh, this show that I'm going to find, you know, when I go to alternate realities and everything, different versions of these events, um, different intros too. And that little part there could be a spliced in piece and everything that, uh, or probably is a spliced in piece that basically says her identity based on that reality, you know, alters, you know, and her family may alter based on the reality that she's in. So, anyways, I find it interesting, you know, that uh, it's very, you know, hard to pick up on, but it's pretty obvious once you listen to it. So, anyways, I'm just documenting findings, things I, I find of interest, you know, that uh, that a little splicing occurs here and there. Um, I made a... Um, a program. Um, I was. I had a company called Touchscape. That was back in 1999, 2001. And part of what it would do was um, it would analyze a a website and it would take a look at the look and feel of it and it would prepare it uh, that uh, a a template based on the look and feel of a uh, of a particular website that we had targeted and allow us to um, provide help desk support analysis um, support systems and everything for the uh, for the customer and the customer uh, was twofold the customer was actually the people using the products and the customer was actually those that own the company itself so it was a twofold thing. So, you know, so imagine this. Um, you've got a website out there, and you've got ongoing content that changes on a regular basis and that kind of stuff. And uh, on new products that you create, you know, so for instance, you've got Ping. Ping's creating new golf clubs all the time and everything. And, you know, to some, some degree, the help support lines and everything, you know, for it. Maybe somebody um, has a golf club that they're not happy with and they want to, they want to find out what uh, Ping's return policy is. Um, maybe, you know, somebody actually wants to find out, um, you know, does Ping actually make custom clubs? Um, or does Ping, um, you know, provide a drivers that uh, that have a little bit uh, you know a, you know for for women or for children um, does ping you know have different weight balances and everything that uh, can actually be put into there you know there's any number of different questions that can be asked concerning a golf club surprisingly number you know large number of questions that could be asked well ping you know they get these questions and everything and to some degree they were having problems with uh, trying to actually placate all the all the people that would call in with the various questions, a very popular golf club manufacturer and everything, and uh, they were finding that they were spending a great deal of expenses on um, on support systems and everything, so help, um, help desk type stuff and everything. So what ended up happening was they ended up uh, looking for companies to outsource uh, some of the help stuff to. Well, first they ended up um, going to India and uh, leveraging um, foreign companies and everything for help desk support, who in turn, in a really odd uh, turn of fate and everything, would actually outsource to the United States. So what uh, and Ping caught on to this, and at that that point they ended up saying, okay, well, 
And the reason they, they turned it over to the United States is because of the quality of voices and, um, you know, the quality of, of the capabilities, you know, for English speaker to understand English speakers and everything became evident. So what, that's this weird relationship that was created and everything, you know, a lot of companies that actually outsource call center operations and everything um, do find out at a later time that the call center operations are actually pushed right back to the United States and everything, and it becomes a pass-through for the income. You know, so there's this weird belief, you know, that uh, you can actually make, um, save money by outsourcing, you know, to an external country and everything. That's not necessarily always the case. In a lot of cases, you can actually outsource, uh, you can outsource uh, stuff directly. All you have to do is just take the time to actually look for it within your own country because it's always available. It's just a matter of finding out which, uh, which state and which city actually supports the activities that you're looking for. So in any case, what we ended up doing was um, we analyzed the situation, and um, what we ended up doing was uh, creating this website that, uh, or this program that would actually scan um, the intranet and uh, a document repository for these uh, for these people, and um, we would go through and uh, just more or less anything that was deemed public uh, knowledge and public information, everything we would turn that around and and supply it through this uh, through our our system, which would scan the um, the, the front portal of the uh, respective company that we did business with, and um, we'd actually supply that information on a public basis to them. Um, and they can actually plug it directly into their website, and it would become a part of their website and everything. It would, it would look and appear like it was a part of their systems, anyways. So, and you know, Ping had their own website by by this point. And what we did, you know, is we just basically made it so where you know, when you click on help, you know, or customer support on on their website, it would redirect to our website, but it would still look and feel exactly like Ping's website. So this created a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, a, a makeshift solution and everything for these companies to be able to, you know, to endure and to and to leverage, and uh, that way they can focus strictly on the production of what it is that they wanted to want to produce, whether or not that was golf clubs or China Mist with their tea or whatever it was. It allowed them the capability to be able to do whatever it was that they wanted to do, and we just merely provided the uh, the user, you know the um, the customers, both the customers, you know, the internal and the external facing customers and everything, a solution that allowed um, constant support for not just um, old products, but also new products as they came online and everything. So, in any case, the whole idea of a, of a look and feel, um, I feel has probably... Um, the software itself has probably evolved to the point that it now um, it now does other things like analyze the world around me and to some degree analyzes the TV shows and says, hey, you know, this isn't getting the proper representation to be able to present the information that, that I need in order to be able to understand the world and interact with the world in a way that I want to. And uh, as a result, um, it inserts its look and feel. Um, and in this case here, I don't know what was there before, but what I do know is I can detect the splicing that it does because I did the original work on the original software. And I suspect that's actually why I'm saying it. 
you know, it's, it's just basically it's this is a an evolved product that uh, kind of went off on its own, you know, and like any life form, you know, it has a capability, you know, and and thinking it about it from an anthropomorphized perspective, I'd often gotten criticized for doing that while I was going through the development process and everything by one of the uh, one of the PhDs from um, from U of A. You know, he, was just, he kept saying, quit anthropomorphizing your data. Well, to some degree, I feel like that's actually just what you do. You know, it's hard not to, you know, because everything could potentially be alive. And in this case here, I've got direct evidence of it, at least for me. You know, it doesn't mean um, the evidence exists for anybody that wants to analyze it. You know, but for me, it just basically says that product that I created, I literally, you know, put my, you know, put a lot of work into and everything has evolved into such a degree that it's now taking entire TV shows, you know, or, you know, could potentially be um, things that come from an alternate reality, positioning them as TV shows to be informative to me, to basically stimulate me and, and help me understand the multiverse that's out there. And uh, in addition to that, it's also doing an ongoing revision, you know, for this little excerpt about her sister Alex and about uh, where she works, because that may have changed from the original creation of the TV show to begin with. You know, it's an iterative process and everything. So it's basically two layers. You know, the first layer, you know, is the creation of the show to, show to begin with. That's like the evolved program, the long-term program, where the short-term, you know, is it's making constant changes. And I'm seeing those constant changes, you know, within little things that... Uh, you know, I don't think would be detectable by other people, but are detectable by me, you know, because I did work on it. I understand how it would function, how it would take a little bit and splice it in. Now, there's there's another alternative story to this. This is all quote-unquote acted. Um, this is all formulated in Hollywood. And um, this is all, you know, um, maybe Kara, uh, a.k.a. Um, was it uh, Melissa Benoist, was quote-unquote called in, you know, um, to make a change, you know, to this one piece of dialogue, and at that point they had, you know, inferior sound systems, you know, to, to, to dub this with. Um, they didn't hear the difference, but I, I hear the difference, you know, and the original quality doesn't match um, it very closely matches the, uh, the dubbed quality, this, the new new portion spliced in you know there there's two stories and from a linear perspective the melissa benoist story um and the acting and all that kind of stuff is consistent with my world but that's not the only story that's out there concerning how this material got there you know because that that disassociates ownership of the world from me the alternative story is I created this in a causal loop based on work that I did back in 1999 to 2001. And the revisions, the ongoing revisions, the more dynamic things, which can't be blended in as well, I'm actually hearing and seeing sometimes too. You know, the TV shows themselves are actually changing, you know, and uh, they're being positioned just for me. You know, help me understand and potentially maybe get more control of my own media.
Yeah. So, how many times I've already seen Melissa Benoist naked? And the funny thing is, I'm seeing more and more imagery, you know, on the internet available. Well, one day it would be kind of funny to wake up and see my own version, you know, of Supergirl, where she takes my challenge, you know, and she just basically goes around naked. I don't react. I don't even say anything to anybody except on this podcast, you know, and it's just like potentially the version, the digital version that I see doesn't have to be the digital version everyone sees. You see what I'm saying? I'm influencing this through a dynamic basis and everything, believing that, you know, my software, the things that I created, is capable of influencing, you know, the things I see, particularly on a digital screen, you know, in ways that could actually be more fun for me. You know, and to me, I look at it like, hey, this is a a fun, interesting, entertaining way to, you know, to pretty much dynamically direct, you know, the things that are appearing on my screen. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, here's an idea, here's a concept, let's try this one out. You know, and while sure, it may not necessarily be, you know, something you're going to quote-unquote see in, in the real world, I like the idea of, of messing with things like this and, and trying things out just to see my reactions, A, and B, just to watch it. You know, it's kind of fun. So, you know, what if, you know, she did that on a regular basis? How would people react in her world if all of a sudden she just decided to take off all her clothes and everything? You know, and I know it's possible because I know that my mind is constantly updating the screen and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, what, what happens dynamically in the show, you know, as a result, do the characters react to this? You know, um... In my world, they would, but in this world, I don't know. I'm kind of curious if they would or wouldn't. You know, and if they didn't, what would, um, you know, would, would they overlook it? And then what would her reactions be? You know, that, that would actually, you know, to all this, you know, let's say she decides to experiment. She tries finding out, you know, about this reality around her and about why some of the events are going on. And she feels like she's getting displaced from this reality and everything. You know, um, maybe she starts questioning it and this is something that she does. You know, um, do, you know, if, if nobody reacted to her, you know, what I'm trying to say is, you know, just from a collective standpoint, there's the what should the reactions be be versus the reality of the situation and what collectively could be the most potentially not just entertaining to me, but also fun. You know? So she's doing what she does on a regular basis, and all of a sudden she decides to take off all her clothes, and that's how she fights crime and everything, or does what she does. She begins experimenting with her world like that. And it's just like, well, I mean, I've already seen her naked in other shows, you know, so it's not that much of a stretch to imagine that uh, that same mind and same thought process might actually stretch into this world as well. So what happens, you know, to the external characters? Are they directed dynamically by a collective? 
you know, it, it gives me a greater chance to actually push and, and poke buttons and everything with this, you know, thing called reality and, you know, the different influences that are actually going on into the program when I insist on one change and I see how they dynamically, you know, create reactions to the other changes. So, anyways, I'm going to continue it, but uh, I just found this interesting, you know, this um, detection of uh, of obvious changes, you know, to her career and her name. And I've heard this, you know, a thousand or you know, a hundred times before, you know, the same intro. But this is the first time that I've actually really listened to it, and all of a sudden it's just like, wow, okay, well, I heard it. I mean, it's very obvious. And I've been thinking this whole time, why is it the whole show's based on, you know, fighting and everything so much? There's so much fighting. But then, as I've started suggesting that uh, the fighting back off, there's really been a big question about her doing this, you know, and on a regular basis and everything, and um, finding different uses for her skills other than working with the DO, quote-unquote, Department of Energy and, and constantly going through and fighting and everything. She's claiming to represent the United States in his interests, you know, but she's still fighting all the fucking time, and they're basically pushing her away, saying, look, we want to do this ourselves, you know, you, you know, um, don't belong to this organization because you keep doing things on your own. You know, it's, it's not the Department of Energy's way of saying we don't want you around. It's Department of Energy's, you know, jo uh, desire to say we want to handle this in other ways that uh, don't involve your methods. Find different methods. Well, that and start experimenting. So, hopefully she hears. Hopefully this is it influences her. And um, hopefully I get uh, a depiction of reality that maybe nobody else sees. Hopefully my mind or whatever it is that's working with me can make alterations dynamically to this. And as I move forward, I see exactly what I want to see. But how does the rest of the show shape around it and what kind of story is told based on it? I think that's the real challenge, you know, here. Is does it have the capacity and capability to be able to adjust its story? I think it does. I mean, heck, let's just say I'm dynamically programming it and reprogramming it as I speak. You know, it stands to reason that that software and everything listens and, and alters and adapts to the changes because that's how I programmed it initially. So, anyways, that's it for now. I'll uh, continue the updates throughout the day. So as the uh, stories progressed for this uh, newest um, installment of uh, Supergirl, the one thing I, I find, <laughs> it's... <laughs> A lot of shows are doing this. If I was directing this, one of the things that uh, is just very, very poorly done is uh, Manchester Black is actually, uh, he escapes out of, uh, he's one of the antagonists in the story. He's let out, he gets loose in the um, prison. And uh, he's given a sword, and all of a sudden he's confronted with um, more or less uh, nine different security guards and everything. Well, it's absolutely ludicrous. You know, they've they've got uh, no no weapons that they can use at a distance and everything. So he's in a prison. He's got no... All he's given is a uh, sword. And he ends up fighting through nine different security guards who are carrying 
the batons, the band, or the things that, uh, whatever, the, the clubs, the billy clubs. That's all they're carrying. Now, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. You know, so as he systematically mows them down and everything, I mean, I know from a con- continuity perspective, it keeps the show going, but this just doesn't, it isn't realistic. You know, it's just very poorly done. I mean, here's the thing, you know, fighting... And all the shit that goes on with fighting is just so boring most of the time. And when it leads to shit like this, which is to the point of being absolutely ridiculous, it's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's mildly annoying, you know. And in in reality, this dude would be surrounded by, you know, these guys, and one of them would break out with a taser. Another one might actually carry a weapon. Sure, there, there could be the argument that within a prison, they're, they're not going to be carrying, you know, weapons that can actually be used for harm or something like that. You know, but when it comes down to it, they're certainly going to have something that could be used as, a, you know, at a distance. You know, in my reality, we've got beanbag rifles, you know, things that will actually um, have have one person, you know, incapacitated at a high-velocity beanbag. Um, other things, such as um, salt, uh, salt uh, shotguns, things will actually, I mean, they'll, they'll certainly cause you a little harm, but they're not lethal. You know, so if the goal and desire is to actually not have lethal weapons inside of a prison, you can carry, sh- you know, saltpeter rifles, you can, or uh, saltpeter shotguns, you can carry stun guns, you can carry um, any number of different things that can actually stop this dude. You know, so that's, I find it really kind of ludicrous and funny, you know, that uh, he manages to incapacitate nine well-armed, probably well-trained security guards, you know, that... Uh, you know, all, all trying to come, come at him, you know, at a, uh, you know, without, um, without any, any training or any, without any, anything other than using their club. They don't even look at the other people, you know, that were just thrown down. Each one of them just basically throws their body at him. You know, it's weird. You know, it's just like, okay, you know, I mean, if this TV show, you know, quote-unquote TV show that's made by what I consider to be quote-unquote intellectual, intelligent people and everything, you know, and the goal is entertainment, well, it's just not entertaining anymore. It's, It's to the point of just being stupid, you know? So I would actually either omit this scene or find a different way you know, um, stealth is one fun thing, you know, that can be used in shows like this. You know, it's always cool seeing a prison break or something like that. You know, um, but it's always cool seeing the the person that's doing the prison break um, actually thinking. You know, um, some of the best uh, movies and everything involve, you know, people that are actually escaping through tunnels and, you know, just doing things that are just totally unexpected. Well, same thing could be applied in this kind of situation. You know, the guy's confronted with nine people. You know, um, let's say these guys are actually armed. You know, they've got the, you know, they've got these weapons that that can ensure that... uh, that, you know, he wouldn't get out and everything. Personally, if I was actually manning a, um, a prison, you know, and I really wanted to make sure my prisoners didn't escape, you know, I'd make sure that these guys had plenty of training, you know, and not only that, but I'd also make sure that uh, they carried weapons that uh, had the capability to, you know, incapacitate prisoners. You know, so stun guns is definitely, you know, for one. 
um, the shotguns um, that carried uh, salt in it, you know, um, beanbag weapons, you know, things that would hire bean or throw beanbags at high velocities and quite literally, you know, toss somebody and, you know, sure, they're going to bruise, bruise some people and they're going to cause, you know, uh, just short-term wounds and everything, but they're not going to, you know, kill them. They're just simply going to incapacitate them. You know, it's better than billy clubs. I mean, that just reminds me of, like, you know, London and Bobby's, you know, from the 1880s and that kind of stuff. It's just like, eh, this just doesn't work. There's a problem with this. So, in any case, it's just, you know, um, if they're looking for realism and everything with this, this just isn't realistic. And not only that, it's just not entertaining. It's not even mildly fun, you know. I mean, sure, it's noteworthy of, of a discussion, but... Uh, yeah, that's actually, um, rather than complain about it, you know, I think that's the whole thing, is um, when, whenever I have uh, problems, particularly when I'm coding and everything, you know, um, I don't like problems being presented to me without the potential uh, for solutions. Now, having solutions in themselves, you know, are fine and dandy, you know, but just understanding, you know, that the uh, solution isn't necessarily the solution that will be landed on. It's a potential, you know, so um, I like I like solutions being presented as ideas, but in a lot of cases, those ideas, you know, they need alteration, they need revision, because they may not be perfect in themselves and everything. This is something I've realized, you know, after many, many years, you know, spent programming and that kind of stuff. It's just basically, you know, some people may come up with ideas and everything, but in a general sense, you know, um, the reality, you know, of a situation and everything demands a few more... Um, a few more possibilities and also, you know, always the personal touch. You know, I think the personal touch is really important in everything. So, I, I just realized what I did, you know, with that. Um, I, you know, I like the idea of seeing, you know, Kara Danvers, aka um, Supergirl and everything, this taking a direct, a turn in the direction of, uh, of a TV show that's, um, you know, more or less intended for homeland uh, or for, uh, you know, for, what is it, um, for a cable TV station and everything. So I presented a problem, you know, by basically having Kara Danvers be naked. And, um, you know, with this, it's just like, okay, you know, um, I realize that it presents, presents this problem, you know, and, um, but I don't propose a solution, right? I create a, I create a, a new situation, but I don't have a, I don't have a, a, um, a potential way to resolve that obvious glaring hole that I created and everything. So, you know, how can you have a show like this that airs on, you know, something that's arguably CW? Um, <laughs> CW is kind of like, you know, for children and everything. So, or I, I shouldn't say for children, it's more for teenagers. It's, uh, you know, the goal is to, you know, for that network and everything to make it. Well, what about a CW for adults? CW for adults. Is there a CW for adults? I'm checking it out. <laughs> so this is really the good question. CW gets six, picks up drama set in a world where adults... Hold on, let's see.
picks up the drama set in a world where adults are allergic to teens. Okay. So how? Oh, it's CBS and Warner Brothers partnered to create a new network called the CW. So you got that story there. Okay, so Marvel, not Marvel, um, Universal experimented with something called um, Universal Dark. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, Universal Experiment was something called Universal Dark, and um, that that kind of flopped, you know. And the reason is it's just it's I mean hell, some of these things are dark enough as it is. Why take a, a turn in a direction of making it even darker? That's kind of why why it flopped altogether. I mean, concept was was rough around around the edges, and I think that the but the thing here is, how is it you take a show and create a different version? How is it you create a show and create an altogether different version for somebody like me? You know, and provide a reason for it from alternative perspectives and everything. See, and that's the whole thing. I'm not interested. And this is actually a challenge more to those that are creating the shows. So, let's say it's my challenge, though. There's a couple potential solutions. One is a... <laughs> I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is um, there's a uh, something called the Darknet. And um, also torrents, um, the capability to have onion sites and that kind of stuff. Um, I would actually go so far to say just do it. Do it without planning. I'm serious. You know, quit trying to think of a of a, a solution. Just see what happens. You know, to the responses on this. What are the responses? You know, in a public way. Because that's actually what I'm what I'm more interested in. Is not just what happens within the show, but what happens in my real world, as a direct result of media like this making it on the internet. Where CW takes a change, takes a, a dramatic left turn and everything with a show like this and basically um, creates uh, content and everything, decides to deviate in a way that Westworld has, you know, when it comes down to the media. Unashamed and unafraid of showing nudity and everything. You've got Melissa Benoist, which clearly enjoys being naked, you know, so just basically making it to where the show kind of reflects her personality a little bit. Where she ends up, um, you know, taking her clothes off and everything during the show, and and instead of it being made for kiddies, you know, have it being made for me in my reality and cater this towards my desires and and you know more or less what I'm asking for. 
You know, because part of this is I want to see what happens, you know, the ramifications of this in the real world. You know, is there any, you know, discussion of it? Does it even make any entertainment news or anything like that? That's actually what I'm kind of curious about and everything. You know, so let it go through. Just basically have her, you know, choose to do some dramatic things like taking off her clothes. Okay, yes, it's a little out of character from Supergirl and everything. So, create a story, getting into it, shape the story. Make it this story, the one that I'm watching now, pause time, rewrite this script, and then resume time relative to me afterwards to present this new show. You know, a show that's basically around the dichotomy of um, her experiences and uh, realizing that she's filling out a place and everything and maybe build up to it. You know, it doesn't have to be this episode. Maybe it could be a couple episodes down the line, but start laying the foundation for these changes and everything. And, and the changes would be, what would be the, the big things? Number one, she's out of the DOE. Number two, she's being isolated and everything from her sister. You know, and that isolation in itself is definitely causing some, you know, some constraints, you know, when it comes down to her expression of being herself and everything. Well, she's got a severe loss of identity already. This loss of identity in itself, you know, let's let's say this loss of identity, you know, um, at this point she's trying to find who she is now. She's no longer got the DOE and, and can't identify with that. You know, she's no longer got her sister and the confidence in, in her sister and everything. You know, so... At this point, it's just like, you know, she's got two separate and very distinctive identities, Supergirl and, you know, Kara Danvers. You know, so while she's out, it's just like, maybe she begins to, yeah, this is actually, take it in this direction. Maybe she begins to kick back, and not necessarily let criminals get away with things, but starts watching them. And starts watching people's reactions. You know, and, and you can actually indicate this in the show pretty clearly and pretty easily. You know, just by basically following her. You know, and uh, maybe she takes a, a turn towards, you know, um, how is it you, you remain, you retain her playful character and not take down a dark side? by having her be naked and everything. I know. You could take her to a remote spot. Man, I'm just thinking that's too much Red Sonia. How? How do you do that? That's actually a good question. How is it you actually retain character for her? So the first step is she starts watching other people and their reactions. But that's the thing. You know what, the next couple episodes could be her experimenting with people's reactions, going to a different city where people don't know her and not wearing her uniform. 
yeah, that could be it. Where she begins experimenting with reactions, with people's reactions. And ultimately, it gets to an experiment where <laughs> that could be kind of fun. You could do it in a rapid sequence and everything, too. So where all of a sudden she's, you know, she decides one phase and everything just to get naked and see what people's, uh, people's reactions are. And that's what she's doing the whole time. She's basically going through, trying to understand and, you know, people's reactions to her. You know, now that she's trying to discover herself, you know, make it clear as, as she's going along that she's got a severe loss of identity. She doesn't, you know, she's trying to figure out who she is. You know, now that she's not out to save the world and everything, who is it she is? And she stops asking people and she starts paying attention to others and actually trying to find out how she fits in, where she fits in. You know, not only that, but how do, how do people react to her in her various different states? You know, clothed, unclothed, um, with the uniform on, with it off, you know, with her glasses on, with her glasses off. This is something Clark never did. You know, he wore the glasses and boom. It was just like automatically, you know, he was Clark Kent. Took them off, boom. You know, and maybe maybe she starts realizing this about her world and she starts experimenting with it over the next couple episodes and everything. You know, but it can't be in her same city. She has to take advantage of her capabilities and take it to a different city so where she can become somebody else and everything and experiment in what she believes is an anonymous environment. And have it be contextual too. You know, the nudity starts in a place that, uh, you know, that maybe might be contextually accurate. Burning Man, for instance. Maybe she takes a trip out to the, this world's equivalent of Burning Man, you know, and she experiences it out there. And it'd be kind of cool if we just uh, went through and saw this, you know, and then all of a sudden, boom. She says, hey, I'm noticing this. And she does. She decides to do it, you know, back at home and everything. I'm kind of curious what would happen. I mean, I see a logical sequence for this, and it becomes pretty obvious and everything. But the key is to make it believable and segue it. So she experiments and begins experimenting on her own image and understanding the interactions that others have with her. She takes this experiment, and the first thing that she leverages is clothing, her apparel. It just makes logical sense for her to actually start doing it this way. How do people react with her with her glasses on versus off? Do they recognize her? Uniform on, uniform off. Glasses on with the uniform, glasses off with the uniform. What's the differences in reactions? Glasses on with her clothes off, etc. Just experimenting. The whole process is experimentation and everything. And to show this, you know, is basically she's trying to find her identity and find out what the relationship is, you know, of her attire, you know, to how she's recognized by the people around her. 
are they seeing her for how she sees herself is, is really the question that she's starting to ask. And not only that, but this is where she starts beginning to pay attention to the criminals. Their behaviors, why they're doing what they're doing and everything. She lets them get, um, get a little further than she did before. And then she starts paying attention to the police forces as well. The policing mechanisms. Maybe she starts enabling them by giving them the information through anon anonymousness without actually having to show her identity and that kind of stuff. That could be interesting too. The development of, um, not necessarily a vigilante, but somebody that's actually helping them. You know, what... Uh, not necessarily like Batman type stuff, you know, hanging a criminal up by in front of a police place or something like that, but she'll have privy to information, to ideas and to concepts and everything from her unique perspective as a superhero that doesn't necessarily require her direct intervention. She can actually give the clues and give the hints to those that, uh, that are going to be directly involved with it and enable them to be able to uh, to achieve the things that they want to, um, but may not have the capacity or the information they need to, had it not been for her intervention. But the key is, she has to start experimenting not just with observing others, but also observing herself and her influence her bodily influence to other people around her. I mean, it's it's risque, absolutely, but it's also the type of thing that um, if I was a director, I would definitely diminish. Now, going back to the whole um, Maverick Black thing, let's say this causes a immediate reform that's depicted in the show and everything, you know, of security. And there's maybe some kind of semblance of training and everything. Now, this training, you know, includes the use of non-lethal weapons and everything, you know, within prison situations, and the use of, um, and the training of non-lethal weapons outside of the police, or outside of prison environments as well. An intense training and reform for the police services and everything, uh, for both uh, security and police forces and everything, so where they can actually leverage non-lethal weapons in order to be able to achieve the same things that they're trying to do. And the goal really is to, you know, to go through the process of, of making sure that uh, people like Maverick Black that's armed with strictly a, uh, a ninja sword can't escape a fucking prison. That just doesn't make logical sense. What I'm trying to do is basically present the ideas and concepts, and if I've got the capability to be able to help this show grow up a little bit, you know, to have a little maturity, to break free of, of being a, um, a pre-teen and take it through its teen years to discovering of um, sexuality of body and of self and uh, an image, you know, and the necessity for, you know, self-control, self you know, of its situation or everything. That's actually one thing that uh, I'd be trying to present here is get away from this pre-teen prepubescent everything, you know, ends up in a fight type thing, and instead start saying, wait a second, you know, a little modicum of self-control, a little, a little bit of exercising of a body and image and everything are, are absolutely warranted. I'd like to see this show more so than, than Flash, but I would definitely, if, if I saw my words are having a direct effect on this show, 
you know, which I absolutely fucking love the idea of. You know, I love Miss Benoist. I, you know, I love the image of this woman and everything. I would love to see her exercise it in this, and I'd love to actually help manifest her in my reality and hang out with her and maybe call her my girlfriend and everything. That actually might get me to stop thinking about Jackie and Rachel so much. Kind of a dream woman, right? But I have to see evidence of this potential through the directed interaction of something like this. I mean, I call myself a director for a reason. You know, I'd never really taken in consideration that I'd actually be directing a TV show, and this is actually one method of directing a TV show. It doesn't necessarily require sitting in an office over in Hollywood and being, you know, given the, the little name tag and, you know, the little paycheck and everything that comes with it. There's alternative methods to becoming a director, and I think that's what I'm trying to explore here. I mean, I've certainly got the experience and the education for it. Doesn't make sense that uh, you know that my knowledge and my experience and everything can't contribute to the direct influence of something that I know this is all possible. So, the the question is, will I see evidence? that Kara is going to start experimenting on herself and particularly in a sexual way or a nudity way and also observing people more. I hope I do. Okay. So, getting back to this, I haven't even proceeded. I just went and took a shower. But, uh, I do this every day. That's the beautiful thing about not living on the streets. I can take a shower every day. I love it. Hot water. Oh, refreshing. So, in any case, um, so there's something called the scientific process or the scientific method. And it starts with, um, they refer to it here. I'm just going to read what uh, I did a question to Google just now. Scientific method. I just put that in the search as a search term. And uh, it, the first thing it says is, what are the six steps of the scientific method? Um, steps in the scientific process. Step one, ask a question. For the first step, help your child form a question, hopefully one that can be answered. So this makes the assumption that you're talking to a child. Not always the case. So step one, ask the question. Um, you know, so I'm going to use a for instance and everything. Is, is it possible that uh, what I'm saying is true and then it's actually that this material, you know, is not, uh, is not created by Hollywood and that there's alternative methods of, uh, of, of this information arriving to me? Well, um, step two, do the background research. Well, I've spent a lifetime in programming and um, I've, I've got, uh, there's various different ways of which um, information can actually be presented. I'm aware of this. And uh, there's renders, there's other capabilities to be able to mimic voices, to be able to copy actors uh, that are actually um, leveraging technology to digitize movement and digitize sound and to be able to create fantastic worlds and sceneries and everything, all within the construct of, com of a computerized environment and everything. So, uh, by asking, by doing the background research, you know, the background research basically says, um, so the question, the question is, is the, uh, are these shows um, capable of being created in alternate, uh, in alternate, or in alternate realities? 
So really, it just comes down to basically accepting the first method of creation, you know, which is actors and Hollywood and that kind of stuff, and doing background research, which basically means diving into computers and seeing the capabilities of computers and everything. So this leads to step three, construct a hypothesis. Yes, it is possible to actually create these things from an alternate reality. Step four, test your hypothesis by doing an experiment. And a couple years ago, I ended up creating a, uh, um, a, a little TV show or a clip and everything. Um, or, you know, it's basically a, a completely digitally constructed with one solitary exception, the very ending of it, of which I had live action me in it and everything. It was basically a full-fledged movie and everything that I created after to enter a contest in YouTube. Um, it's since been lost. Um, it's it, it's out there. It's got partially out there in, anyways, but uh, I don't know whatever happened to that, and I lost the computer that, uh, that had it. Um, so the hypothesis or the hypothesis that experiment basically said yes indeed it is possible to create something without actually having live actors i did it i mean completely i created a movie and everything through this experiment and everything i, I didn't have anything other than my computer to create it with and everything and uh, like i said you know the only part that i did was just basically me at the end waving and saying hi to the camera and that was just introducing myself you know but now this leads to open portions of technology and everything so the hypothesis is um is is it possible to create an entire thing thing. Now, technically, while I didn't do the entire thing through through it, uh, there's two different, uh, two different things that are really left to be answered here. Um, and that comes down to the ability to be able to uh, take an image of somebody and to be able to reconstruct it in a, in a, a digital environment and everything, which we did. You know, the CCD actually does a translation of, of information from light to to um, to pixels and zeros and ones and pixels and that kind of stuff. So that was one transformation ended up happening and everything. And the same thing for my vo my voice. My voice was encoded and put into a digital uh, a digital film. At that point, um, the entirety of that of that presentation. So yes, I did in fact that it is possible that I I did in fact prove that it is possible to create a movie um, or TV show completely through a digitalized to through di digitalized mechanisms I proved it absolutely proved it so analyze the data and draw a conclusion yes it is possible so the question is it possible to have movies or TV shows that are completely constructed um, through through computers or through digital di digitized entertainment sources and everything digitized mechanisms and the answer is yes um, now what's the extent of these mechanisms so I'm just going to you know list the the scientific methods and scientific process without actually uh, um, inserting my my uh, anal analogy to it so step one is ask questions step two um, you know I don't like this this isn't how I how I regard the scientific method So scientific method steps.
What is scientific theory? Ah, oh, okay, yeah, here's something, here's another way of construing it. This is interesting. I'm finding different ways of, uh, of people approaching the scientific method, and it's just like this one here. They've got a flowchart. Ask a question is first. Do background research is second. Construct a hypothesis is third. Test with an experiment is fourth. Is the procedure working? You know, so is your experiment um, to test it uh, working? If the answer is yes, analyze data, draw conclusions. Now, here's the interesting thing. Personally, I would actually say if it's no, analyze data and draw conclusions. Here, it actually deviates the no, and it says troubleshoot, troubleshoot procedure, carefully check all steps and set up. <laughs> so, if you follow this procedure, inevitably, anything that you construct as a hypothesis will ultimately be, be become working in this kind of environment and everything, and you will never analyze data and draw conclusions from a no. That's really interesting. Um, so yes, analyze data and draw conclusions. Always Yes always leads to analyze data and draw conclusions. Um, and uh, at that point, results align with a hypothesis. Eh, okay, I, I get it. Um, results align partially or not at all with hypothesis. Communicate results. Um, not necessarily fond of that of that appro approach. Okay, here's a better one. One, make an observation. Two, ask a question. Three, form a hypothesis or testable explanation. Four, make a prediction based on the hypothesis. Five, test the prediction. <laughs> Six, iterate. Use the results to make new hypothesis or predictions. And I would actually add in a seven. Move on. <laughs> you don't continue this process in, uh, eternally. So, and uh, again, so in this case here, they make an observation. The observation is that Supergirl and, and uh, many other shows actually come from alternate realities. Or um, in this case here is uh, that Supergirl and probably the vast majority of shows and maybe even potentially the entire network of the CW is, is computer generated. Netflix, I suspect, really is one of those that's totally computer generated. But I'm also saying that um, CW um, is as well. So make an observation. Supergirl is uh, computer generated and so and the intro to it has been, uh, has been modified. Two, ask a question. Now the question is, is it? Has it been modified? Three, form a hypothesis or testable explanation. Well, the hypothesis is movies and TV shows, especially um, some movies and TV shows, undergo a transformation and everything from a computer, from computer generated code um, or computer generated man manipulations and everything that actually alter the, the final product. Make a prediction based on the hypothesis. So in this case here, um, I would actually say the prediction is if, if indeed it's actually the the world is dynamically adjusting to me and this thing in itself is is capable of manipulation or direction is a better word, not necessarily manipulation, which kind of has an evil connotation to it, but is capable of direction. 
by my words, by my influences, then I will see, so the, the hypothesis is that the things I'm saying um, have the potential to be able to influence these TV shows and the outcome of, of uh, particularly ones that aren't as entrenched in this reality and uh, that could be comp potentially computer generated because of my past. So it's a prediction. Um, as, I, as I state and restate my desired outcome and everything for Supergirl, um, and also start constructing a, a logical linear path and everything for this to occur, that I will actually start seeing um, a direct, uh, direct examples and evidence of this starting to occur in her world. Five, test of prediction. Testing just simply comes from watching. Iterate. Eh, I'll have to keep on saying the same thing over and over again until finally I actually start seeing what I want. So, anyways, that's it for now. I went and took a shower, and then after that I ended up um, coming back and uh, I started, uh, I created the marinade. I'm making a Asian, what was it, uh, Asian pork tenderloin for dinner tonight. So I'm experimenting with a lot and particularly, you know, less expensive ingredients and everything that uh, we can get. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of culturally diverse foods. So in this case here, um, I, I've started the process of putting that together. So it's got soy sauce, sesame oil. I mean, here's the recipe if you're interested in it. It's got one-third a cup of uh, soy sauce, um, one-quarter cup sesame oil, two tablespoons of Worcestershire sauce, one-eighth cup packed light brown sugar, um, three green onions chopped, four cloves of garlic crushed, one and one-half tablespoons of Asian chili paste, one and one-half teaspoons of pepper, and one two-pound fat-trimmed pork tenderloin. So, I followed the directions, and if you're interested, I mean, I've been cooking on a daily basis and everything, trying different different recipes out. This one, you pour into a medium bowl, the soy sauce, sesame oil, Worcestershire sauce, then whisk in the brown sugar, green onions, garlic, chili paste, and pepper. Place the tenderloin in a shallow dish, pour sauce over tenderloin, turning the meat a few times to coat, cover dish, and refrigerate at least eight hours. I'm going to go on the uh, five-hour uh, refrigeration. Um... So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of marinating for a long time and everything, but uh, in this case here, it's just like I just want to try the dish, and if anything, I will uh, I will actually overnight uh, marinate the thing. Should I make the dish again and everything, a little bit better planning. My my dad literally just went down to the store to go pick up the pork tenderloin, so um, I wasn't able to make it until today, anyways. So sure, I could have made it for tomorrow, but. You know, well, I'll make it for tonight. So anyways, um, after the marinade, preheat oven to 450 degrees. Uh, transfer pork with marinade into aluminum foil lined baking pan. That's step two and step three. Roast in a preheated oven 25 to 30 minutes. Remove and let stand for five to 10 minutes before carving. So that's what I'll be doing tonight. Anyways, I started the marinade process for that. That's actually sitting in the um, in the refrigerator right now. It's, uh, it's you know, doing the marinade process process and everything. And uh, Supergirl, I had paused. And um, 
I had made the comment before that I was looking for evidence and everything, and here's the weird way that I receive evidence in. It's not obvious, you know, that's the whole thing. When something changes temporally, you know, it's it's perceived more as a glitch on my side, and this is something I've realized over time and everything. So, my words actually have altered the time stream. Um, they have caused a problem, and what ended up happening in VLC, which is the viewer of choice for me, um, it, it actually ended up uh, losing all sound. So I end up, um, what I have to do is actually shut down the process. In this, in this case, it was a, uh, it was a hard reset that I had to do. I actually had, had to physically in-process tree um, within the process as in a task, task manager and shut it down. So, at this point, rather than looking at these glitches, uh, whenever I have a problem like this with a with something, instead I look at it and I say, "Wait a second, this is actually evidence to suggest, you know, that uh, you know that my words and particularly my time away just now, going and preparing the meat and going to do the things that I did, have caused an alteration with time itself, and uh, that alteration has resulted in a substantially different or a a notably different Supergirl." that now will quite likely contain the things uh, or at least indications uh, and suggestions of the direction that I'm actually trying to give it and um, you know and here's the thing this direction is for me and me alone you know nobody else has to see, see this show with the exception of me so the changes that I see maybe a stark ass naked uh, you know supergirl running around and everything while I do want it to actually have chronological make chronological sense um, and sense from the character character's perspective and everything, and I did mention a couple ideas. You know, I don't want her to just basically take uh, tear off all her clothes and just do this, which is completely out of character. I want the show to develop to the point of actually doing these events and everything, but also maintain the presence of the character and, and have it be within the, uh, the context of the story and everything, too. You know, so I want this to make chronological sense. So... In that way, uh, chronologically, you can at least potentially dismiss it, you know, as basically being, you know, creative, uh, creative authors and writers actually pushing the edge or something like that. Well, me, I know ultimately I'm the one that directed it and pushed it down this way, you know. Um, but you know, the simple fact of the matter is, you know, what came first, the writers making these changes or me suggesting these changes? <laughs> That's the weird nature of time altogether, you know, so you'll get into those kind of questions, it'll fuck with your mind a little bit. But in any case, my little hiatus and everything um, caused an alteration in time. I see it and perceive it as a glitch, at the very least with the, di with the digital mechanisms that I'm using. Um, now, before, I would have just written it off and said, fucking VLC, you know, it always fucks up like this. No, VLC didn't mess up. You know, it's actually working as expected and everything. The problem is, it's a digital mechanism reading digital information. That digital information changed at a binary level, and as a result, it needs to reread that. You know, and that's actually what it's doing. You know, so it, it, it glitched for a reason. It glitched as an indicator to me to say, hey, something's changed. Now, pay attention. And, and at this point, you know, that's me, you know, expressing, hey, this is, this is my perception, and this is, this is the slight, but irrefutable evidence, because you start seeing this all over the place, particularly when you work with digital mechanisms, as long as I have, you start seeing this all over the place, and it's enough to drive you bonkers at first, you know, it's just like, no, this can't be how reality works, you know, it, it, it can't all be interconnected, it's, it's too overwhelming, it's too scary. 
but in the end you get used to it you know and that's actually where I'm at right now is a transitional phase of basically saying yes I do control all of reality you know now how can I actually isolate the certain mechanisms I just want to see you know and um, and also see the influences in the slight ways that it's going to affect reality now, now here's the thing. For me, this isn't a profound enough change in everything to alter, alter my reality in what I consider to be substantial ways. You know, um, Melissa Benoist has always, already been naked, so the trend's already there. You know, the the evidence is already there to suggest that this isn't, isn't out of character for her as a as a personal thing, anyways. Um, you know, so, and uh, Supergirl doing this and everything, well, CW has been suffering in the ratings, so to some degree, maybe they have to bump it up, so, you know, to some degree, they've got competition out there, and they've they've suffered from, you know, this, I mean, I'll actually look for evidence right now suggesting this, CW, CW, I'm going to look for evidence, CW, problem with ratings. Um... Now here's an article on Forbes. This is actually going to provide evidence. Um, the art, the All American gets benched. Um, Elseworlds gives the CW high high ratings, and Elseworlds, uh, um, it's an Arrowverse crossover. That's interesting. Now they've uh, got Charmed, and Charmed is is arguably a little bit more. Um, Oh, here it is. Here's a great one. The CW Superhero Shows. Is the network stuck in a rut? Well, that's evidence. The new CW is off to a rocky rating start. That actually dates back to 2006. Um, now, The Flash was actually premiered, so Flash may not need change, but um, to differentiate itself from The Flash, The Flash ratings at lowest point ever. That's just uh, October 2017. CW's uh, got 100 problems, but a premiere ain't one. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but the article that I'm looking at right now that actually provides evidence to suggest that, that, um, CW needs to change, um, and can change in a little bit more risque way is, uh, yeah, the CW doesn't care about live views because the CW doesn't have major stake in its programming. And that's just basically saying that, uh, you know, the CW um, isn't committed, you know, to its its arsenal yet. But if it starts taking the concerted efforts to basically say, hey, we've got something with Flash, but we're reusing that formula um, and that approach with character and personality in Supergirl and also in um, DC's Legends of Tomorrow and also in... Uh, in what's the other one era now there's nothing that differentiates the personality too greatly between these shows yet dc's legends of tomorrow is starting to deviate which is is interesting and i'm liking it and everything but that i feel like is as a direct or as an indirect result of my influence and everything flash i think is going on um i wouldn't say it's great but if you're just basically keep its personality and separate the personality from flash in the era i haven't even gotten into arrow yet but, uh, you know, it's just like, okay, so how is it you can d differentiate Supergirl between that? You know, well, 
Superman was actually pretty highly successful with the re- with the the remodification and everything of it. You know, the brooding Superman and everything. I loved the Smallville um, Smallville version of uh, and Tom Welling and that kind of stuff. But towards the end, particularly when um, he's dealing with Lana Lang and that kind of stuff um, in in Smallville, um, I loved the sexual tension that that became palatable in this TV show. Loved it. And I, you know, the one time that um, that he's end up uh, suffering from a libido problem and he's sitting there looking at Lana, um, that was the time that I was doing, you know, pretty fiercely bath salts and everything. And I'm just like sitting there going, wow, do I have the capability? You know, I mean, I would love to see her naked and, and all of a sudden, boom, she's naked. And uh, then they've got another scene in there where he's watching the teacher. And I, I could swear I have memories of seeing the teacher naked, but for some reason it's just like uh, I'm seeing things differently. But what I'm saying is just it's like, you know, it, the they had Smallville, and Smallville started getting boring, but then all of a sudden they took it in a deviational direction, and boom, the show was canceled at that point. Well, it's my opinion that Supergirl can learn lessons and take that and take that chain of thought and ideas that was listed in Smallville and the whole concept and feel, look and feel that it was actually getting into and basically say, you know what, let's take that and actually apply that to Supergirl. You know, maybe Supergirl starts experiencing the same chain of emotions and sexuality and and self-awareness and everything and all of a sudden she starts experimenting with it. Well, for me, it's actually consistent with the whole Superman and Supergirl line, if you actually uh, trace it back, you know, to um, to the Tom Wellig Smallville type stuff and everything. Um, if you avoid the recent uh, incarnations of uh, Superman, which are definitely darker and more brooding and meaner, you know, to some degree, you know, it's just like, and instead just basically say, hey, that exists, but that's an alternate reality and everything where, you know, maybe Brainiac took over Superman and at this point was trying to actually command him because it felt like it could do a better better job running Superman than Superman himself. No, so instead just basically what I'm saying is influence her. You know, influence her based on the um, ideas and conceptions that were occurring with Clark Kent and Superman in, um, in you know, Smallville. And at that point, uh, take some of the same personality, apply it uh, to Supergirl, and at this point, leverage it. Well, you know, so what other what other opposition do we have, you know, to the potential of influencing it like this direct direction? We've got Network. Uh, Network um, doesn't have a stake in this and uh, in the success of Supergirl. Um, but it can have a sta- it can have a stake in the experimentation of of un- of altering the formulaic approach from a personality perspective, and instead start injecting new new formulas um, into this. And it comes down to heightened sexuality because you got a a clearly gorgeous woman and everything that's in that role and everything, and you can take advantage of it. Not only that, but take advantage of her her sex appeal and her desire to basically exhibit herself. For me, it's just like this is a win-win. So if, if, if someone happens to peer in on my reality and see this, you know, um, it's going to be completely consistent with, um, with, you know, basically her ongoing desires and everything. Well, CW itself, while it isn't a major network, this is actually the interesting thing about it, too. No other network, um, so you've got CBS, you've got NBC, you've got ABC, which are the primary affiliates. You've got TNT, you've got AMC, you've got CW and everything, which are considered um, kind of like somewhere in between HBO and Showtime. Now, HBO and Showtime have regularly, in every show, been depicting um, nudity. 
every show has been doing this. No other network other than pay-per-views have actually depicted nudity, with the exception of very, very slight, maybe a show of an ass on occasion, such as uh, Radar and MASH and that kind of stuff. Um, no other network has done this. Well, you wouldn't think that the first network to actually start showing regular nudity would be an ABC, a primary affiliate, ABC, NBC, CBS. You would think that it might be an offshoot that has has uh, it has more or less diverted diverged itself away enough you know so this is CBS and Warner Brothers you can call this this experimental vessel and um, at this point you can leverage it from an experimental perspective and basically alter a show and the formula for it and start this whole process it makes logical sense because the CW itself is established enough as a brand to differentiate itself from its parents and in addition to this HBO and Showtime have been getting awesome ratings they've been getting great shows Netflix is starting to follow that lead too and doing the same thing basically not censoring the the nudity and the sexuality or mainly the nudity you know and the content that it's providing and everything so if CW did this from an experimental perspective it makes logical rational sense for CBS why <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's a way to actually dabble on and test the appeal on a wide basis and everything you know, of this, and just see, hey, how does the public respond to it? If we do it tastefully, if we do it in a way with uh, with somebody that, you know, basically every, you know, it has a big audience, you know, from males that, you know, I mean, I've met males that are in the neighborhood of 60 years old and everything that are watching this show, and in part because they like Melissa Benoist. You know, so it actually, it makes sense from a CBS perspective and everything. You know, from a Warner Brothers perspective, to to dip their toes in the water. There's no rational, logical conflict in everything with them experimenting like this. In addition to this, Melissa Benoist, it's completely consistent with her character as an actor. Completely. There's no qualms about it. I mean, she's distributed sex videos. She's distributed them herself. So, anyways... I'm going to continue watching it now. <laughs> okay, I I am currently 28 minutes and 13 seconds into the show at for Supergirl S, um, SO4 season 4 episode 13. The abbreviations, uh, at least from my channel, get it to um, Supergirl SO4E13. This one's in 1080p. And I witnessed another another track where it seems like the character ends up saying something that uh, wasn't originally programmed. And again, while I stopped this and restarted all the time, um, again, the audio completely skipped out. So I'm going to go 2806, just remember that, 2806, continue, why is it not, volume's not coming back, 2806, sometimes I have to stop and restart the process altogether, oh, duh, <laughs> be helpful if I put the right headset in.
So the character, he's a Chinese character. Something appears right next to him. You called it, is what he says. The girl of steel went straight to the president. Idiot move and launch up to tomorrow. All that point is actually computer CGI. You can actually see it too. Up until that point, it's not. doing good. You can barely see it though. I mean it, it, it's really really good CGI. I mean it's intended to be indistinguishable from the real you know from the real character. But he's got a different face altogether. Uh, I mean it's wow it's really good. So it's at precisely. You called it, he says it at 28 minutes and 6 seconds into it. Yeah. Barely discernible. If you look at the face, and if you in particular look at the mouth, the interior of the mouth doesn't, the rendering doesn't, I mean it's, it's almost exact, but not quite. In any case, why that specific line? You know, and that's actually the question I have too. You know, that's outstanding for this. Why that specific line? Why only that line that's CGI related and everything? And everything else is, you know, potentially a live reaction and everything. It's really interesting. So this is what I'm talking about, you know, where the look and feel, um, it's almost copy exact you know, and the transition is frame by frame absolutely seamless to the live character and everything, or to the to the previous one. So I suggest, suspect that it's all CGI, but layers upon layers of CGI. Like, the show itself is CGI, but there's also a post-process CGI that's also done, too, in order to do it. So, I don't know. I find it interesting. You know, why this specific line, and why two different methods of CGI, you know, on this? It's uh, int intriguing, entertaining. So, anyways, I'm going to try a different experiment. I've been losing a lot of my recordings um, just because of uh, various reasons for this iPod and everything. I'm going to stitch them together. Um, sometimes I do stitch them together, but I'm just going to basically do this one by one. And as I'm recording my voice, I'm just going to stitch the final product all together. If they are out of sequence and everything, that's why. It's not intentional, but, you know, the goal is to take, whether record 30 minutes of discussion or 5 minutes, is to quit losing the discussions. And I've lost quite a few in the last, uh, well, since I've, I've been doing this. It's frustrating to some degree, so I just want to make sure that when I finish with, with a thought, with an idea, I commit that idea, you know, um, digitally. And uh, at that point, um, I can, you know, make sure that I capture that idea and notion and it's committed to, you know, to the to the thing before I transfer it over and everything. So, anyways, um, just an explanation if it sounds stitched together, that's why.
You know that saying, ask and you shall receive? So I'm continuing watching the Supergirl. I've had to restart it a couple times because of uh, sound issues and everything. Um, but um, anyways, I wanted Supergirl to examine herself and and more or less, you know, that was what I discussed, not literally 20 minutes ago and everything. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not shitting you, but this is at 39.32. Um, actually, I'm going to back it up a little, a little bit. 39, 12. So we're at 3856. And I'm going to... She's talking with Jimmy Olsen inside, uh, inside his office in Catco. And he asked her. So he asked a question. Hold on a second. She says, my instincts were all over the place on this one. She says she doesn't know which way was up. And she says, I'm still not sure if I do. Now that itself is a direct result of my influences. I'm causing her instincts to basically um, confuse her internally. She doesn't know, you know, and as a result, that's a direct result of my influence. And Jimmy says, I know the feeling. And he says, I, I have a story I'm not too sure if I should pursue myself. And he says to her, how did you figure it out? And, and this is actually where I'm talking about, you know, where I, I'm wanting her to actually look at herself. She goes, I examined my motives, made sure the decisions I was making was for the right reasons, and not the selfish ones. And then he says, I guess that's all we can do, right? And now she's looking entirely confused for all this. She doesn't know how to react. And that's what I'm talking about. It's just like, that's, you know, I mean, maybe, okay, so from a from an, an argument perspective, sure, there could be the hints and indications that this is where things were heading to begin with. So, yes, you could potentially say, I predicted this. But there's an alternative perspective, not that I predicted it, but I made it happen. That my influence, in a literal sense, caused the development of this on my timeline to be able to see this event. Now, if you want to try and apply a chronology to it, then sure, my mind influenced reality, which altered time in the past to basically make it so where the writers and the authors and that kind of stuff ended up changing and creating this new script that had the self-examination process start during this, and at this point she continues this process in, all, in new shows and everything, like I said, you know, where she's starting to examine herself and why she's doing what she's doing, her impact on the world around her, etc., etc., and it's all being influenced by things she doesn't fully understand as she's trying to figure herself out and everything. Well, this is a first step towards that direction and everything, and 
you know, did I affect the writers that did this? You know, or is it just all self-contained? You know, is this a chronological progress? And, you know, basically, am I just influencing reality, you know, as I go? And this, because it was chronologically sound and it couldn't be, you know, couldn't be argued, um, you know, with any reliability, you know, that uh, I'm wrong or that I'm right, for me, it lets me have my belief that I'm accurate, and it lets you have your belief of whatever you want to believe. That's the cool thing about it. So, if you want to believe that uh, this is just already there to begin with, and, you know, maybe I'm just a good predictor, and this is actually how shows are and everything. Well, that's one possibility. Yeah, the other possibility is, I wanted to be a director, you know, for, uh, for companies. I didn't realize that being a director wasn't just a title change. Yeah, like I said before, maybe it was a mindset change, a realization that, uh, you know, when you walk away from being directed and guided the entire time to elevate yourself at that point to reality itself, in a literal sense, changes the way that you perceive it. And the influences become a little bit more obvious. They were there all along. But, I don't know. In any case, I'm validated. That's the way I look at it. My belief that I'm influencing this reality and, and her to make these decisions, and ultimately it's going to wind up with her being butt-ass naked for one of the first full nude shots within a TV show, you know, within a, um, in, in almost corporate network and everything. You know, seems like a good foray, you know, and uh, it's definitely a divergence for the series, you know, but they can also label it as experimentation. And because of the success of HBO and Showtime and those kind of movie, uh, TV, uh, you know, TV shows on those, they're uh, losing money and they're losing audience. So they're doing this in order to basically maintain the franchise and hopefully actually get more audience. And maintain the male audience that they already do have, which they've got a substantial one. And she's a wonderful person to uh, to experiment with. So, in any case, this could be fun. So I'm <clears throat> I'm looking at um, somebody's apartment at uh, what is it? Uh, it's five fifteen there in the morning right now. And everybody, there's four people that are in the apartment and everything, they're all drinking. And they all disappear to the back room, and they all come back. And one of them in particular, he's clearly having something wrong with his nose and everything. It's Russian, or it's, uh, at least it's uh, like a Russian country or something like that, where it's kind of like a guttural language that they're speaking. I don't understand it or anything like that. But... Um, the guy was messing with his nose, so clearly these uh, these guys all went out and, you know, they ended up doing coke or something in the other room or something like that. For me, you know, it's that whole habitual thing. Staying up late and doing all that stuff and everything. It's weird. It's kind of like a huge turnoff now. You know, it used to be, you know, something that I enjoyed for so long that all of a sudden I got out of it and it's just like... Not only do I look back and does this make me think, it's just like, man, I don't want to be there, you know, but I also look at those people and, you know, it's like, 
I don't want to judge, but I do, and I can't help it. You know, it's the type of thing that it's just like, it's not who I want to be. I don't want to be that addict in everything. You know, nor do I want to stay up to those, you know, to those hours of the night and everything, and just to drink and get drunk and get stupid and everything. It's just, I don't know, just sounds unappealing, you know, altogether. Now, if there was sex involved, sure. You know, I might do something like that, but in a general sense, not with the promise. I mean, there's three guys and there's an attractive girl here, and uh, I have no doubt that two of them are hoping for, you know, a threesome, you know. But, um, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things that it's just like, I look at it and it's just like, I don't, don't judge him. I don't think negatively, um, at a, at a conscious level, but I look at it and I just go, man, you know, I don't want to be that person. Not only that, but it's almost painful watching. It's just like, I don't want to watch, you know, because of it. You know, um, here they go. Two of them are disappearing. They're going back in the back room. One of, du one of the dudes has taken off his shirt already, so you can tell he's trying to, uh, trying to create the event and everything. No, not judging. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I have been there, done that, you know, when it comes down to the, this exercise. So, you know, for me, it's just like, I'm not going to look down on somebody that's doing this. I'm just going to look at it and just basically say, you know, while I understand it, you are who you are for making those choices and everything. And it doesn't even make it a bad choice. It's just a choice. But it's kind of kind of interesting and almost uh, you know. Let's see if they they get their way. You know, that's actually the thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in. Do they? I don't get the sense that she's interested, but do they ultimately get their way? I don't know. So here they go. They disappear into the back room again. So it's 13 seconds into it. It's a play-by-play -play here. So that was 5, 19, 13 is when they started. So they're doing lines of coke. It takes about 10 to 15 seconds per line. About 30 seconds to create one, so altogether between 5.22 and 5.24 is when they'll return. It'll take more time for a cigarette. It'll take about four, three to four minutes for the three of them, or four of them, to line a lineup and to each do one. And if they're skilled and fast, maybe even sooner, but I would estimate between 522 and 523 they'll return. 
if they're going in the back room to do a line. Is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah, one of them's returned. So in about 20 seconds, another should come out. Within 10 seconds. Oh, there we go. She returned. And he returned. So you got one more. So in 10 seconds. 12, 13, 14, 10, 16, 17, 10, 19, 20. Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, there we go. interesting with how obvious it is. I mean, it doesn't bother me. But I don't know. So the question is, does she get her way? Or do the, I mean, sorry, do the guys get their way with her? Personally, I don't think they will. And I think that's part of the reason for the drugs. A big part. Anyways, I'll come back to them later. Give it 7.22 right now. my time so I'll give it till 8 o'clock let's see what's going on with these guys shut it down for now interesting so anyways I just thought I'd share okay um just happened across another interesting well for me, interesting finding. Um, hold on a second. I was going through and uh, I ended up um, seeing a number 777-555-0202. Now, the story that I was told, at least from my perspective and everything, was that 555 numbers, anything with an area code is whatever, 555, that those numbers, the 555 numbers, are for movies only and that kind of stuff. And um, that's why they'll use them profusely, you know, in movies. You know, so you'll see 555-1212. 
and that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember the movie War Games, and uh, it was one of the first times that I ended up seeing this. And that was uh, Matthew Broderick back in 1984, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it was based on a, a, a kid that was a, a gamer. He was a gamer and <laughs> didn't consider himself a hacker. He just considered himself a gamer and somebody that enjoyed playing games and that kind of stuff. And to some degree, he ended up uh, discovering, um, by accident, he found game companies and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, he discovered, by accident, um, he ended up breaking into uh, servers that uh, were um, providing more or less uh, computer code and everything for nuclear arms and quite literally the nuclear arsenal and everything for the United States, the Cheyenne Mountain and everything. Well, that's the first time I saw the 555-1212 number, and uh, it was actually 555 numerous different numbers because he was doing something called war dialing. Now, war dialing, if you're not familiar with it, it's the repetitive um, calling out to to different numbers sequentially, so you might you might start at um, five 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 dash zero 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 zero, and then five 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 dash zero 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 one. Now back in the days of bulletin board services, this was something that was done very very commonly in order to actually find um, connections to different various servers and that kind of stuff. In, in particular, just modems, anything that can actually connect. Um, through these phone numbers and everything, at that point, the 555 and the war dialing was was more or less, uh, you know, something that uh, you would do to try to obtain the numbers, you know, to information and everything that actually contained um, a, a computer at the back end, which you can then therefore hack. Um, in a lot of cases, it had very, very basic passwords, usernames, passwords. Um, back in the day, FTP was pretty common, and uh, one common username password combination was anonymous, a uh, guest. So anonymous was the username, guest was the password and everything. A lot of times, um, these backdoors to companies and to, you know, things like that were not guarded or were basically left wide open and everything for somebody like me, you know, or at least Matthew Broderick in this movie, um, War Games, to be able to drive a hole through. And uh, the whole premise of the movie is he's war dialing and he finds this gaming company based on an ad that he saw in one of the, one of the uh, articles within a magazine that he, uh, he reads. And and uh, he's, he's seeing these next generation games. Well, at this point, he figures that they're going to be based out of a specific place in Silicon Valley. And he also figures that if uh, he does the war dialing, he'll be able to um, figure out which company um, has access? You know, he's he's suspecting that each one that this company is going to have some kind of external access for, you know, for people to work at home in a lot of cases or whatever to, to connect, you know, to allow interconnection for other devices and other people and everything across the nation and everything. So he assumes right, and he ends up uh, making a connection to the company. And at this point, um, he discovers an AI that at this point asks him if he wants to play a, a game of uh, global th thermal nuclear war. And uh, he's, um, no, actually it's quite the opposite. He's actually wanting to play global th thermonuclear war, something that he sees as a game that's available when the computer insists on playing tic-tac-toe or something like that. And he's absolutely insistent. He wants to play glo global thermonuclear war. He keeps on telling, you know, the, the machine keeps kicking back saying, no, how about a friendly game of chess? You know, and things like this, until finally the machine concedes and basically says, okay, you know, I'll play global thermonuclear war with you. 
And at this point, that's what commences the movie, is it's actually a simulation. That simulation um, actually uh, feeds to real DARPA computers, Defense and Research Pro Project Agency is um, based out of um, Pentagon, um, in uh, Washington, D.C., but they also have facilities all around the world and everything. And um, he ends up uh, getting in and, uh, and initiating the simulation, Global Thermonuclear War, which starts a simulation, um, which actually becomes a, a, you know, to the people over in uh, Cheyenne Mountain in, uh, in uh, Colorado, that uh, is actually the home of the Missile Defense Agency and everything. They, at that point, um, become alerted to this, and they don't realize it's a simulation. They actually think it's the real thing and everything. Well, you know, so basically he ends up uh, getting, you know, more or less uh, accosted and everything. And uh, long story short, you know, he finally ends up saving the day and stopping, you know, global thermonuclear war and everything. Well, one of the interesting things I found was, um, you know, about this movie and everything is a 555 number. And I saw it in, in numerous movies after this. Number, number of movies after this. It's always a 555. And uh, it's just like, okay, what the hell? <laughs> You know, I mean, I'd been told, you know, the story, you know, that this number was, you know, something that was reserved and specifically allowed uh, somebody to, you know, to connect, you know, that to, or, you know, Hollywood to be able to fake dial, you know, and that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting, you know, because one of the things I also saw in war games that I thought was really interesting was um, Matthew Broderick's screen only shows you to USA and Russia. And then in Whopper's machine, while it could potentially be argued that it's higher resolution and everything, and as a result it shows more countries, it does show, like I said, it shows more countries. It's not just Russia against the USA, it's various other countries that are actually involved with this too. So, you know, so that for me is just to tell, you know, it's all kind of like breadcrumbs, if you will, um, about the literal digital origin of this planet. Each one... Um, of these tidbits, you know, if you want to follow this slippery slope to what created this planet, we left um, breadcrumbs to our history, you know, um, to what really happened, you know, and it's littered throughout our media. You know, dissecting what's real versus what's not, it's not easy. You know, um, and that's the whole thing to understand is eventually we ended up getting to a war, you know, because we had carried over, uh, what I look at, we had carried over information across generations and everything. And when I'm talking about generations, I'm not talking about one, two, or three generations. I'm talking about literally thousands of generations where movies themselves were actually retained um, as a device, as a mechanism, in much the same way the railroad um, was it the the slave railroad was used back in the 1800s and everything to tell the story about what really happened to create this planet what really happened to create the United States of America you know tracing the chronological history back you know there's one history that's written it's a fancy the you know the breathe easy 1776 constitution bill of rights yada 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 you know but um that's from a linear perspective and that linear perspective isn't necessarily precise and um a more concise version would probably include this alternative, um, you know, history, which includes War Games is real, Terminator is real, Matrix is real, 
Um, Star Trek is real. All you know, all the Star Treks are real. Um, I can go on with the list and everything. Now, this is from you know from a there's there's the chronological linear which I discussed yesterday, you know, and that chronological linear is what's written in history and everything. Then you have the nonlinear um, notions, and, and at this point, this is where you know you start understanding what happens, you know, with the separation. You know, let's say you know the Big Bang is is the truth for this you know for this universe. Um, to me, it started from an egocentric perspective and where I was born, which basically was, you know, orange, orange, also your Belinda, California. Um, you know, I mean, my birth certificate says orange, but uh, I myself can, you know, say that uh, the first memories I have being in existence in this planet is your Belinda. So let's just say that's the epicenter, the the central origin point for the entire for this entire universe. Now, from there, you know, it started, my world started expanding, and um, as that world started expanding, I discovered little things along the way. I started reading profusely, 130 books, I think, was, you know, what I read in first or second grade or something like that, where there was uh, something called RIP, R-A-P, reading is fundamental, or R-A-F, reading is fundamental, and I ended up reading, like, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, I mean, I could go on with the list of books that I started reading from more or less third grade all the way to um, probably about you know ninth grade which is where I ended up reading so many different things that ultimately ended up becoming movies well the information I digested and everything ended up getting consumed by my mind and brain interpreted at that point it ended up spitting out you know in the end movies you know TV shows um, in a feedback loop and you know that information ended up I saw it on TV in a lot of cases, and it kept feeding back and everything. Well, the 555, you know, the mysteries, you know, the things that I didn't understand, you know, such as, why is it 555 is always the number, and I try to dial that number, and it's not real. Well, you know, I mean, because I, I would. I would actually see a number in a TV show or a movie, and it inevitably had 555, and I would try to dial it, and I could never get it to actually work. It was like, you know, it always it was always a bad number and everything, you know? So I had never really thought to, thought to actually consider, you know, alternative stories about the 555, nor had I, had I ever really considered, you know, different um, inception or uh, chronologies for the development of TV shows and movies that actually were were led to me, I believed because of my proximity to Hollywood, I believed that that's actually where they were all generated. Well, the interesting thing that I ran across today was I was uh, paying attention to that uh, voyeur video, and um, I ended up, um, you know, I ended up seeing something that uh, reminded me of that 555 number in the uh, game I'm playing, Watch Dogs 2, and I'm just like, wait a second. You know, I see a number that they're dialing here, and uh, in the voyeur video, huh, let's check it out. So I looked at the 555, and I ended up finding out that uh, that while the United States has a country code of one, the country code for Russia is seven. But the diff but the similarities between the two numbering schemes is very very similar. They have a uh, more or less um, you know state codes, but they also have seven digit. Um, number, you know, and in a lot of cases they actually have the 555 numbers. So it's my belief that, um, you know, originally that the uh, United States was th literally, quite literally, the only country 
on the planet. Maybe Earth was flat when it originally was incepted. Well, as my worldview expanded, and as one of the first countries um, I found out about was Russia, um, at that point, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, being more or less, you know, finding out uh, and, and ostracizing, pushing things, you know, that, that didn't really answer questions, you know, that, or I should say, left too many open questions and everything. You know, for instance, 555, you know, number. Well, subconsciously, my mind knew that the 555 number um, wasn't wasn't the the only answer wasn't about hollywood that there was more answers to that subconsciously what i think my more what i believe my mind did was basically isolate it and say okay anything with a five anything or any one with a five 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 number we're just basically going to isolate that and push it over to uh to russia you know um I, I i believe that this is what my mind did on a rapid on a you know continuous basis is it tried finding things that were like me when things that weren't like me ended up being introduced and everything such as you know two student two people that uh, their faces were very very different than my own and everything well, at that point you know whether or not my mom and dad invented the story um or you know, I invented the story, or somewhere in between, all of a sudden, you know, my mind disassociated, and at this point, they became, they become a product of this country called Japan, and um, at that point, I'm introduced to cultural differences for the first time, and, um, you know, it's just like my mind is going through this expansion process. I'm trying to process this world and everything from a single linear chronological perspective, but it's not making sense. None of it's making sense. You know, how can you have, you know, such contrast and, um, you know, such supposed contradiction and everything, you know, for numbers and everything, and, you know, this whole con concept called time zones and everything. For me, it was just got increasingly confusing, you know, differences in species and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, relatively simple things for a child and everything, or for an adult, but, you know, to a child trying to actually understand the world and everything with all the complexities and trying to retain my sanity at the same time and basically create in order for it all, none of it, you know, a lot of it just didn't make sense, and at that point, I was building my mind, you know, so going to the whole 555 numbers, um, you know, they ended up having the, the numbers in war games, um, I just did a 555, you know, for, you know, for the, uh, and saw that it, you know, that uh, Russia actually has these 555 numbers too, and it's um, my belief that, uh, that probably quite a bit of uh, entertainment that has actually come to the United States um, has come from Russia, and that potentially is is something that can be, oh, let's say, not necessarily analyzed, but um, can be followed as a lead logically, you know, at least uh, determining the origin of everything by basically following the 555 numbers. If it has a 555 number that's listed, then maybe the origin is Russia for the TV shows. You know, and that's the whole thing. It's just like, you know, I suspect there's clues in every piece of media that presents itself to 
the United States in every piece about its true origin. I suspect that a, a propaganda campaign has gone on since I've been on this planet and everything, and that propaganda, you know, has has attempted to basically alter the mindset and mind values and potentially introduce fear and that kind of stuff, or introduce number, any number of things, not just fear, you know, but uh, any number of different ideas and concepts and everything. You know, media has been used, you know, just because of the free open market system and everything, it has been used and it has been, you know, to some degree abused, you know, to distribute ideas and concepts and everything from other nations and and uh, doing so on pretty grand scale and everything. But here's the cool thing. I do believe that media has a capability to be able to trace the origin of where it actually comes from. And this 555 is just one indicator, you know, of the likely origin of where it comes from. So anyways, I thought I'd mention that. I, I actually found it interesting. So. Now this takes me to another idea and another concept, and uh, the concept is this, is um, what if what Matthew Broderick doing wasn't just a game, but it was actually real? You know, to some that were observing him, to some that were experiencing this and everything, you know, um, everything that he was going through was absolutely positively real. And um, what if I'm actually in the same position? What if these things that I otherwise would, would believe are video games? I'm learning in my own way. They aren't just video games. I, mean, I posited the idea and notion that, um, that the information that I'm receiving and everything depicts a very real world, but that very real world is hidden through the various uses of, uh, of more or less uh, technology and everything, and the technology that I'm receiving and doing this through is actually responsible for um, masking the information. You know, and here's what I'm saying, is, um, let's say, you know, I'm actually in San Francisco with these robots and things that are destructing things there, and uh, it's actually real. But let's say they're leveraging OpenGL to um, more or less mask the reality and overlay it with a rendering to more or less provide the capability for me to, you know, to both be there, but not at the same time. I believe I'm playing a game. You know, um, for me, the evidence is that is absolutely there that I'm playing the game. But I'm also getting some mixed signals, and I'm starting to come to the understanding that there's a potential that to some, this is absolutely real. Now, it's kind of like the drones, you know, that um, the Air Force is flying over in, uh, over in Iraq. For the longest time, I sat there and thought to myself, you know, I... I think I'd have a hard time myself actually knowing that I'm killing people for real, you know, over in, uh, over in um, Iraq and everything. I wouldn't want to be in command of one of those drones. You know, it feels cold. It feels, you know, kind of lifeless. You know, but what if it was turned into a game instead, and the people that you're actually, you know, that you're 
setting yourself up against and everything. Um, maybe the, it's been spun in such a way, you know, that the information actually leads you to believe that you're doing the right thing. You know, so that's the whole thing is, you know, with those drones and people flying, you know, flying and killing people and that kind of stuff. Well, what if it all gets masked? You know, what if, what if the United States Air Force took it one step and just basically painted over the images? You know, and quit, quit this whole concept and idea of letting the soldiers, you know, go through this whole PTSD suffering and everything of believing that they're killing real people, and instead just basically putting them through simulations. I mean, the whole concept of Ender's Game was these kids go through these war-type simulations or everything, not knowing that they're actually going through war. And then, by the time it's all done, that entire war's done. They don't realize that everything that they've done is absolutely positively real. And they've killed thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, during the course of this in order to basically obtain their sovereignty. What that's all games are. It's a mask for reality. And eventually, you get the fight out of your system. And you establish your independence.